You're not in this story. Yeah, well, we're making it up as we go. Hello and welcome to Making It Up As We Go, a Destiel fan fiction anthology podcast. We're making it up as we go. I'm your host and reader, Nerdy Nerdenstein. The story is ours now. You can't have it back. Please be warned that the stories featured can and will contain explicit sexual content and is not intended for young audiences. Hello. Today, I'll be reading Cupcakes and Kittens, chapters 11 and 12, written by Mandala Rose. The rating for this fic is explicit. The pertinent tags for this fic include Alternate Universe, Coffee Shops and Cafes, Baker Dean Winchester, Reluctant Kitten Owner Dean Winchester, Cat Rescuer Castiel, Two-Person Love Triangle, Online Meeting, Online Flirting, Confidently by Dean, Openly Gay Castiel, Mentions of Past Canonical Character Death, Fluff and Angst, Pining, Slow Burn, Fraudage, Masturbation, Hand Kink, No kittens come to harm in this story. Chapter 11 Bake for one hour. So the thing's flapping around all over the place, and I'm like, dude, you can't just leave that thing here. It's a freaking eagle. And the guy just goes, so? This is an animal rescue, isn't it? Charlie takes a drink from her beer before continuing. Uh, yeah, for reptiles. Leaning towards Charlie, Joe asks, so what did you do? Dean hides a grin behind his beer. By the way Joe's been hanging on every word Charlie said all night, it's pretty clear she thinks Pet Store Girl is just as cute in person as she had in Dean's story. He's glad Cass thought to invite her to his apartment warming party. There wasn't anything I could do, Charlie continues animatedly. The guy's all, look, I'm late for work, I can't take this thing with me. So I had to call Animal Rescue and wait three hours for them to get there while trying not to get shredded by an eagle with a fractured wing. This thing was huge, too. I'm not even sure how the guy got it in his car in the first place. Dean chuckles appreciatively as he glances between Charlie, where she's seated on the dark brown sofa Cass said he picked up at a discount furniture store, and Cass himself, who's perched on the edge of a matching armchair. So did Charlie have you volunteering to take care of abandoned reptiles and the occasional injured bird in college, too? Dean asks their host. That's where you two met, right? It is, Cass agrees. But no, I left the reptile rescuing to Charlie. Cass has always preferred the soft and cuddly critters, Charlie says to Dean, who smiles. 
He hadn't realized Cass was an animal person. He wonders vaguely about how his friend feels about cats, and if he should mention Cupcake. Thoughts of Cupcake naturally lead to thoughts of CJ, and Dean pushes down the accompanying pang in his chest. They've exchanged a few messages back and forth over the past week, but nowhere near as many as usual. Maybe Dean's imagining it, but their conversations feel awkward and stilted now, like CJ is holding back. Dean can't figure out if it's lingering guilt or if this is the other man's way of distancing himself. Either way, Dean can't let himself be all in again with CJ until he's sure he's not jumping into an abyss by himself. So instead, he's focused on spending more time with his in-person friends. Cass's invitation to this party was actually a huge relief. Otherwise, Dean would probably be sitting at home, staring at his silent phone. And we only sort of met in college, Charlie adds. Cass was the college boy. I was the townie. You didn't get a degree? Joe asks from her seat next to the redhead on the sofa. And miss out on all the glamour and glory of being pet shop girl? Charlie grins, eyebrow raised dramatically. Never. But with everything you can do with computers, you could be making way more money. Dean can't help but point out. Who says I'm not? Charlie asks with an eyebrow waggle. The pet store and the bean aren't Charlie's main sources of income, Cass explains. She's a freelance online entrepreneur, he adds, complete with the dorky air quotes Dean still loves. Joe squints at Charlie. Is that code for secretly a computer hacker? Charlie just grins around the lip of her beer bottle, and Dean bites his lip as Joe's eyes widen, clearly impressed. Shoving thoughts of CJ to the side, Dean asks Charlie, So how did a townie, maybe computer hacker, end up best friends with a Novak? Setting down her beer, Charlie's grin widens as she shoots a sly look at Cass. Easy. He was another rescue. He was just a tiny, defenseless baby gay when I found him. Everyone in the room laughs as Cass narrows his eyes and sips his beer primly. I wasn't that bad. Charlie lets out an inelegant snort. You totally were, dude. She turns eagerly toward Dean. He wasn't even out of the closet yet when I met him. My gaydar went off like a siren, though, even if he was trying to hide all of that fabulous under layers of pajama pants, stained hoodies, and poor hygiene. Her words are teasing, but the look she shoots at Cass is soft and full of affection. Really? Dean looks at Cass in surprise, who rolls his eyes. It was college, Dean. Did you think I wore business suits to freshman lit? A barely-there smile tugs at the corner of his lips. Well, yeah, kinda. Dean answers with a shrug. You're just so hard to put together, man. I don't know. It's hard to imagine you wearing a shirt without a collar. Hell, I'm still trying to get used to seeing you in jeans. Dean tries not to blush at the accidental admission. Maybe he should slow down on the beer. It's true, though. Dean had nearly swallowed his tongue when Cass opened his apartment door, wearing thigh-hugging jeans, the first two buttons of his navy button-down undone. There's no need for imagination, Deanie Bean, Charlie coos, 
swaying a little as she leans forward to pick Cass's phone up off the coffee table. There are pictures. Charlie, no. Cass's eyes widen as he jumps out of his chair, reaching for his phone. Dean's quicker, though, leaping off the bar stool he's pulled up next to the sofa and stepping over both Charlie and Joe, scooping up the phone with his hand as he plunks himself down next to the redhead. Having been aiming for the same sofa cushion as Dean, Cass ends up practically in his lap as the girls shuffle over to give everyone more space. Trying to ignore the feel of Cass's leg pressed against his, Dean clears his throat and waggles the phone triumphantly. Now it's embarrassing family photo time. You'll need my password to get it. Cass's smug voice is far too close to Dean's ear, and he suppresses a shiver. Please. Charlie snorts inelegantly as she deftly types in a number, successfully unlocking the phone in one try. You've used the same pen since college, dude. You really should change that. Like the new phone, though. Cass visibly pouts as Charlie scrolls through his photo storage. The phone still clutched tightly in Dean's hand, just in case Cass gets any further ideas about avoiding his fate. New phone? Dean asks idly as he watches Charlie scroll backwards through Cass's Facebook photos. Fascinated as he watches the man next to him de-aging on screen. Yes, my old one died a watery death in the Great Flood last weekend. That's why I had to call you from Sam's phone. Oh, right. You didn't mention your phone, but I guess that makes sense, Dean says slowly. This new piece of information tugs at something in the back of his slightly tipsy mind. But before he can examine it, he's interrupted by Charlie's triumphant shout. Here! Turning his attention away from Cass's scowling face and toward his phone instead, Dean's greeted by a much younger and clearly inebriated Castiel. He is indeed wearing a gray hoodie and what looks to be plaid pajama pants. His eyes are bleary and bloodshot, his hair is longer than it is now and sticking out at all angles. And there's a flush to his cheeks that Dean thinks probably has as much to do with the arm around his shoulders as it does the alcohol, especially if the coy smile he's giving the camera is any indication. The image squeezes something soft and vulnerable in Dean's chest. It's no wonder Charlie was drawn to this younger Cass. The boy next to him, however, looks as brazen and outrageous as Cass does shy and sweet with his rakish grin and ridiculously plunging v-neck sweater. "'Who's the douche?' Dean asks with a grin, tapping on the smug idiot before handing the phone back to Cass. "'Balthazar,' Cass chuckles, looking over Dean's shoulder. "'He was. Cass's first big gay thing.' Charlie finishes for him, giggling. Cass shrugs, a small smirk playing at his features." He had an average gay thing at best. Joe snorts again, and Dean shakes his head. What the hell did you see in that guy? I can feel the sleaze from here. Shrugging again, Cass confesses. He was an international student. The accent was hot. Rolling his eyes at Charlie, he adds. And I was a bit of a mess. As Charlie beams at him, Dean chuckles. Don't feel bad, man. I wasn't any better back then. I was a certified bisexual disaster. Was? Joe raises a skeptical eyebrow and Dean sticks out his tongue. Fuck you, Harvell. 
Not if it was my last night on earth, she retorts, before leaning forward to look past Charlie and Dean at Cass. Dean's not kidding, though. He didn't come out of the closet. He fell out of it, and into Bella Talbot's pool when Aaron Bass kissed him at her graduation party. That's not why I fell in the pool, Dean argues, trying to ignore the way he feels his face warming. I tripped. Yeah, over your big gay feelings for Aaron. All right, fine. If we're trading disaster by stories, why don't we talk about the Baines twins? Pulling her knees up so she can rest her chin on them, Charlie grins eagerly at the now-blushing Joe. Ooh, yes, let's. Joe opens her mouth to tell the story, but Dean stops her with a hand before clambering to his feet. Hold on, hearing that story once was more than enough for me. I'm going to get another beer. You want one, Cass? Looking between Joe and Charlie, Cass wisely takes the offer of escape for what it is. I think I'll come with you. Dean offers a hand and pulls Cass to his feet, not noticing at all how warm Cass's palm is against his own, or how those long fingers feel wrapped around his. Clearly a little tipsy, Dean's getting the feeling Cass doesn't drink a whole lot. Cass teeters a little at the sudden change in position. Chuckling, Dean brings his other hand up to steady his friend, also not noticing how firm Cass's bicep feels under the dark blue shirt that makes his eyes sparkle like sapphires. Not that Dean noticed. Dean's good at not noticing things. Just like he also definitely not noticed that CJ hasn't messaged him once all night. Pushing that thought away like he'd pushed Aaron Bass away before turning around and stumbling into Bella's swimming pool, Dean leads the way out of the kitchen, reaching into Cass's fridge and pulling out two more beers. Handing one to Cass, he nods back toward the living room, where Charlie and Joe are still sharing a single couch cushion, even though they now have the entire sofa to themselves again. Well, that's interesting, he comments. Cass smiles softly at the two girls as Joe holds her hands up to make a this-long gesture that Dean definitely does not want context for, while Charlie howls. I had a feeling they'd get along. So, Charlie really moved here with you from the East Coast? Dean asks. That's some friend. She's more like family. Cass agrees. And actually, she moved to Chicago with me first. That's where Novak Corp's main office is. After the arrests, I crashed on her couch for a bit until Gabe called and asked me to move out here and help with the bean. I didn't even realize she'd decided to come with me until she came home one day loaded down with moving boxes. Dean smiles, but before he can say anything, Cass goes on, looking down and fidgeting nervously with his beer. She's also not wrong. I really was a mess when she found me. Coming out, even just figuring out who I was, it wasn't an easy process for me. It was like I thought if I showered every day and used hair products, people would know. He chuckles humorlessly. Or maybe I thought if I had no fashion sense and was a walking grease ball, I couldn't really be gay. Yeah, but did you literally run away from the first guy who ever kissed you and then trip and fall face first into your ex-girlfriend's pool? Dean smirks triumphantly as Cass presses his lips together, clearly trying not to laugh. A little self-deprecation is well worth taking that pained look off of his friend's face. 
No, I suppose I can at least hold on to that. There you go. Dean licks his lips. I guess coming out isn't a graceful process for anyone, no matter where you come from. It's messy, Cass agrees. Maybe it's easy for some people. I hope so. Or at least I hope someday it will be. But I think for most of us, there's a lot of learning and unlearning to be done. And that's even without adding in the worrying about how people around you will react. Hmm. Dean agrees around a mouthful of beer. You aren't wrong there. You know, if my dad were still around, I'm not even sure I'd be doing what I'm doing now. When Cass looks at him quizzically, he adds, Baking. He was a mechanic, owned his garage, and practically raised me in it. He wanted me to take it over someday, and more than anything, I didn't want to disappoint him. He didn't approve of your interest in baking, Cass asks, raising an eyebrow but keeping his voice neutral. When you spoke of your parents before, it sounded like he was pretty supportive of your mother's ambition to open a bakery. Snorting humorlessly, Dean drops his eyes to his beer. Sure, baking and decorating cakes and cookies and stuff, that's fine if you have two X chromosomes. But if you're a guy, that's fruity shit. Ah. Cass says softly, and Dean bites his lip. Acutely aware that he's just shared more of his personal life with Cass in the past twenty minutes than he has in the past five months. Sam and Joe both had points, though. Dean's apparently willing to open himself up completely to an online stranger while pushing away anyone in real life who tries to get too close. He'd written Cass off completely without even bothering to get to know the real him. He feels more than a little guilty about all of the crappy assumptions he'd made about someone who's been nothing but kind and generous to him since the moment they met. At least he can do is let Cass in a little. First, though, he's going to need a little more liquid courage. As he talks, Dean deposits the empty bottle on the counter, taking Cass's and doing the same before retrieving each of them a new beer from the fridge. Yeah, so, you know, I tried my damnedest to be the son he wanted, one he could be proud of, could love. But that life just never fit. Like wearing someone else's shoes, worn in all the wrong spots, and rubbing at the same spot until just walking in them hurts. The look on Cass's face is so full of understanding that Dean would turn tail and run just like he did at Bella's pool party, if he didn't also feel like that gaze was rooting him to the spot. Dean. Cass starts, voice quiet but confident. Your father was wrong. I'm sorry you lost him, because I know that you loved him very much. But I'm glad that you're finally living a life that fits. He hesitates a moment, nervousness tightening the corners of those baby blues, before he goes on. Even after coming out. After college, I spent so many years in a career and a life that didn't fit. I was miserable. Dean's eyebrows raise of his own accord. You didn't love the Richie Rich life? One side of his mouth quirking up in a sad half-smile, Cass chuckles. Don't get me wrong, it had its perks. It was nice to be able to afford my hobbies without having to worry and not having to clean my own toilets or do laundry were certainly pluses. You didn't do your own laundry? Dean asks in wonder. No, Cass admits sheepishly. 
I actually didn't even know how until Gabriel taught me. Be honest, how many shirts did you shrink or turn pink when you first started? Dean grins. None, Cass says primly, before adding, There was, however, an unfortunate incident with an iron. Feeling his lips twitch, Dean bites his cheek to keep from laughing outright, which does not go unnoticed by Cass, who glares at him. As I was saying, this past year has been one of the hardest and most terrifying experiences of my life, but it's also been the most rewarding. My work at the Bean, this apartment, they're the first accomplishments I've ever actually felt proud of. I'm sure that sounds stupid to you, but it's true. Dean frowns at that. It doesn't sound stupid at all, Cass, but I'm sure you've done lots of things to be proud of. Hell, just managing not to turn out like your shitty family is something to be proud of. Leaving them and starting over on your own is something to be proud of. Maybe, Cass says in a voice that tells Dean he doesn't believe it one bit. Regardless, this apartment may not seem like much, but it's mine, and most importantly, it's not Gabe's. As much as I appreciate everything he's done for me, my brother is far from an ideal roommate. Wait, you've been staying with Gabe all this time? I knew you had a roommate, but you never told me... That I've been living on my brother's charity for the past year. I may have deliberately downplayed that part when we met. Why? Dean, when I met you, I was a penniless 30-year-old man from a disgraced family who didn't have so much as a mattress to call my own. I wasn't exactly a catch. Blushing, Cass avoids Dean's eyes as he adds, I was a mess and you were... you. I wanted to impress you. Completely unable to help himself, Dean grins. Well, nearly burning down a community college was definitely one hell of a first impression. You were distracting. Eyes widening, Dean swallows involuntarily. Is Cass saying what it sounds like he's saying here? So what? Dean teases, praying he sounds more casual than he feels. Now that we've decided to just be friends, you're not worried about impressing me? Cass hesitates before answering slowly, as if he's carefully feeling out each word. I'll admit, knowing where your interest lies does take a little of the pressure off, in a way. Looking up nervously, he adds, but I guess I'm hoping that who I really am might be enough. Enough for what is on the tip of Dean's tongue, but he pulls it back, not sure he's ready to hear the answer. Instead, he says the only thing he can. Of course you're enough, Cass. You always were. I'm sorry if I made you feel like you weren't. My life ain't exactly glamorous, man. You don't need to worry about trying to impress me. Cass frowns. You may not have a lot of money, but you have skills and life experience that I'm sorely lacking in. I didn't even know how to make macaroni and cheese when Gabe took me in. I was living on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for a while. Not exactly surprised, Dean smirks. I've seen you try to boil water. A small smile tugs at the corner of Cass's lips as he elbows Dean and rolls his eyes. For what it's worth, he says suddenly. I'm sure it would have been difficult at first. But from what little I've heard you say about him, I think it's likely that in the end, your father would have come around and supported you. 
It sounds as though he loved you, even if he didn't always show it very well. I can't imagine anyone being around you for any length of time and not. Flushing, Cass cuts off, eyes darting away. Dropping his own eyes to his hands, Dean opens his mouth to tell Cass it doesn't matter, that it was all a long time ago, to make a joke and brush off the vulnerability he's drowning in right now only to close it again as a sudden shadow falls across the mostly empty beer bottle he's fidgeting with. Looking up in surprise, his vision fills with blue as Cass catches his eyes from his new position right in front of Dean, the glare of the kitchen dome light flaring out behind him like some half-assed incandescent halo. They're as close as they were on the sofa, as close as they were that quiet morning in the bakery, and Dean feels the same electric charge he felt between them then. He wouldn't be surprised to see the toaster start sending up sparks right now, caught in whatever the hell is happening here. Dean. Cass swallows and wets his lips nervously, Dean's eyes tracking the motion. There's something I need to tell you. Dean sways forward just a bit, like iron shavings pulled toward a magnetic force. He's not sure what's about to happen, but he's had just enough to drink tonight that finding out seems like an excellent idea. Nice digs, little brother. No weird serial killer vibes or anything. Dean starts backward, knocking over the empty beer bottles on the countertop with a clinking that sounds at least three times louder than should be possible. Sorry, Gabe says unapologetically, eyebrows lifting as he leers from the kitchen doorway. Am I interrupting something? Gabriel, the key I gave you was for emergencies, growls Cass, the pink in his cheeks broadcasting the fact that, yes, Gabe is in fact interrupting something. Please, Gabe rolls his eyes. As distracted as you two were, I could have been pounding on the door and you'd never have noticed. Besides, how do you know the girls didn't let me in? We wouldn't have if you hadn't just admitted as much, Dean points out. Touché, Gabe concedes with a nod in Dean's direction. He opens his mouth to say something more, when a sudden squeal from the living room draws all three men's attention. Shut up, Charlie nearly shouts wide eyes bouncing between Dean and Cass as she nearly vibrates off the sofa. How did I not know this? Excuse me, Cass says, eyes wide as he abruptly strides out of the kitchen toward the two girls, already pointing a finger at Charlie as he goes. Dean blinks in confusion, but before he can even start to figure out what has Cass glowering like that, Gabe's voice draws him back. Actually, Dino... You're the one I was coming in here to talk to. I have everything we talked about ready to go. I even brought the papers for you to look over, he adds, pulling a manila envelope out from underneath his arm. Dean perks up, thoughts of whatever had Charlie looking so giddy chased away by the documents Gabe unsheathes from the envelope. He starts flipping through them as Gabe talks. Once you sign this lease and contract, you'll no longer be an employee of the Bean and will instead be our kitchen tenant, so to speak. You'll have access to the kitchen six days per week and we'll contract with you for pastries for the same number of days. 
The sweet bean will receive a portion of the profits for any catering events that are booked through us, but will provide transport for all baked goods and coffee supplies and an additional employee to help man the events. Any profits you receive for other orders are 100% your own. Sound like what you're after? Dean nods as he turns the pages before him until he reaches the last page. Yeah, this all looks great, man, except the rent. He looks up to try and catch Gabe's eye, but the supposed businessman has turned and is instead rummaging through Cass's freezer. A moment later, he resurfaces, triumphant, a pint of honey vanilla ice cream in hand. What's wrong with it? He asks innocently as he forages in a nearby drawer for a spoon. It's nearly half what we agreed on, Dean accuses. Sorry, Dino, but that's my final offer. The statement comes out somewhat garbled around Gabe's mouthful of ice cream, but Dean understands enough, opening his mouth to argue. Gabe cuts him off with a raised hand. You're as bad as Cassie, you know that? How so? Dean asks, quirking an eyebrow in response. He never wanted to take a hand up either, from the time he was a kid. I remember when he totally forgot about a paper he had to write in eighth grade. Half-assed the whole thing the night before it was due, convinced he was going to fail. The thing is, though, Novaks don't fail. When the prep school teacher gave him an A anyways, he was livid. Gabe smiles fondly. Worked three times as hard after that, determined if he was going to get the A's, he'd at least deserve them. Dean smirks. I'm going to guess you never had those kind of moral dilemmas. Not hardly. Gabe agrees as he digs another spoonful of ice cream out of the cardboard container. Don't get me wrong, I have my limits. But taking an easy A is not one of them. Cassie, though, he was always that way through high school and college. Refused to even apply to any university our family had ever donated to. And when it came time to look for a job after school, he eventually caved to Dad's pressure to join Nova Corp, but he did it on his own terms. The shorter man looks more than a little proud as he explains. He refused to take an executive job with no experience and actually negotiated down to an accounting position. Best part is, that's probably what kept him out of jail when it all went belly up. He was far enough removed from the top that the investigators could believe he didn't know anything. But he didn't know anything, Dean protests, not even questioning why he's so certain of this fact. Cass would have never gone along with that. He may not have any objective reason to believe it so strongly, but Dean knows down to his toenails that Cass is innocent of his family's scheming. Of course not, Gabe agrees, waving him off with his spoon. That's my point. I love Michael and Luke because they're my brothers, but between you, me, Gabe tilts his head, and everyone who hasn't been living under a rock for the past year, they're also a giant bag of dicks. Cassie's not like them. This whole shit show was the best thing that ever happened to him. Dean shakes his head disbelievingly, still trying to wrap his mind around how someone could give up all that money and seem so nonchalant about it. Dean spent most of his life worrying about money and, more accurately, how little of it he had. Yeah, Cass said something like that a few minutes ago, but I just don't get it. 
He lost everything. I didn't realize just how much until we were talking today. Gabe shakes his head vehemently. No, he lost money, Dean. Money's not everything, especially not to Cass. The scandal gave him the push he needed to leave, but the truth is, he's not meant for that world. Never was. He needed a chance at a different kind of life. As Gabe looks around the tiny kitchen appreciatively, a new thought occurs to Dean. You didn't reach out to Cass because you needed someone to run the bean, did you? You bought that shop for Cass. Gabe becomes suddenly fascinated by the ice cream container in his hand. You know, I don't normally eat the vanilla, but this is pretty good. How close was the shop to going under, really? Close enough, Gabe answers evasively, shrugging. There were probably a few things I could have done to keep it afloat, but I knew Cassie'd straighten it out soon enough. Things you could have done? Are you saying you bought a business and deliberately let it fail? Dean stares at Gabe aghast. Voice entirely unapologetic, Gabe answers, Cassie might not be cut out for a cutthroat corporate life, but he's still a hell of a businessman. If the shop hadn't been legitimately in danger of closing, he'd have known and he would have called me on it. Dean is suddenly very aware that while Gabe has insisted that Cass isn't anything like the other Novaks, he's never said that he himself wasn't. Not cool, man. How could you play with people's livelihoods like that? A new fire flashes briefly through amber eyes, more usually filled with laughter. Hey, no one's livelihoods were ever at risk. Worst case scenario, the trans and company started selling ice cream instead of coffee. Besides, I knew Cassie could fix it, and he did. Dean shakes his head. Why are you telling me all this? You know I could just run right in there and tell Cass you're full of bullshit and have been basically manipulating him for months. Months? Gabe snorts. Try years, Dino. And I'm sure eventually you will tell him. And sure, he'll be pissed, but he won't be surprised. Manipulation is a time-honored Novak family tradition. For everyone but Cassie. He'll get over it, though. He's happier now than I've ever seen him. Again, why tell me? Like I said, Cassie needs a different life. He's got a job that makes him happy now, but it's not enough. He needs the American dream. Gabe waves a hand in front of himself as he explains. The house, the white picket fence, a couple of those sadistic purring flea bags that make me sneeze my ass off, and a guy that'll treat him the way he deserves to be treated. One that doesn't give a shit about his last name or his bank account. My little brother deserves that whole damn apple pie life, Dean. And who better to give him that than a baker? Stunned, Dean stands there, leaning against the counter for support, as his brain struggles to come up with some kind of response. What finally comes out surprises Dean as much as it does Gabe. You're allergic to cats? Cuddling the purring cat against his chest, Castiel gives her gray fur a few more lingering pats 
before he carefully sets her in front of the cat carrier, tossing a few treats inside to draw her in. In you go, Junie, he croons to the feline, who nudges affectionately against his hand before trotting obligingly into the plastic carrier. Closing and securing the door, he turns back to the much larger cat enclosure and his final charge. June may have gone into her carrier willingly, but her foster brother, Benny, isn't likely to be as cooperative. Donna had already warned Castiel that Benny's not a fan of either his carrier or of being held. Like pretty much everything else these days, Benny reminds Castiel of Dean. Well, more accurately, he reminds him of Dean's friend, Benny, the one who Castiel had once thought might be Dean's secret and supposedly unrequited romantic interest. Realizing now that he had been jealous of himself, he feels extra foolish. Spending time at the rescue today has been a nice reprieve from his constant Dean-centric internal struggle, and Castiel is a little sad to see it end. Okay, sweet boy, your turn, he says softly, giving the large tabby plenty of time to sniff his fingers and judge him worthy of his attention, which Benny eventually does butting his head against Castiel's palm in a way that feels less like a request for affection and more like an offering to kiss the godfather's ring. Chuckling, Castiel scratches the big Tom's ears, slowly moving his hand away and toward the center of the towel he'd lined the bottom of the enclosure with. I don't blame you, you know. I've never liked feeling trapped either. When Castiel finds just the right spot behind Benny's left ear, the cat flops onto his side, seemingly forgetting that he's supposed to be big and tough and soaking up the affection instead. You big softy. Castiel chuckles fondly as he gently wraps the towel around the regal feline. When he slides one hand under Benny's front legs and the other under his rear, the cat lets out a grumbled yowl, but doesn't hiss or fight as Castiel deposits him rear first into the waiting carrier. After closing the door, he slips a couple of treats through the crisscross metal gate. Benny stares at them disdainfully for a moment, before seeming to decide that he may as well make the best of a bad situation, and begins eating one. Wowzers, came a voice from the doorway. That's the first time I've ever seen someone get that big lug in a crate without a single scratch. Color me impressed. Looking up, Castiel smiles at the owner and operator of Angel Rescue, Donna Hanscom. He's really just a big baby when it comes down to it. The plump blonde snorts, pushing a wayward fringe out of her eyes as she leans against the door jam. Maybe you ought to be the one fostering him then. He seems to like you. Face falling into an apologetic expression, Castiel answers, I'm afraid it's going to be a few more weeks before I'm ready to foster. I spent most of my savings on new furniture and dishes for my apartment. It'll take a little time for me to purchase enough food and supplies to be set up for fostering. Soon, though. Straightening up, Donna crosses the room to stand next to Castiel, nudging him with a plump arm as she sticks her fingers through the empty spaces of June's carrier door to offer a chin scratch. Don't you worry about it, Castiel. I'm just teasing you. We're just tickled to have you back at all natural. Castiel's smile returns. I'm glad to be back. I've missed this more than I realized. He'd only volunteered with the rescue a few times when he first moved to Sioux Falls, 
before they realized that Gabe's allergies were so severe, even being exposed to the lingering dander on Castiel's clothes post-rescue work would send him into an itchy-eyed sneezing frenzy. Gabe had insisted it was fine, but Castiel wasn't willing to make his brother suffer in his own home. Now that he has his own apartment, though, he's excited to get back into the rescue world and can't wait to foster again. He'll just have to make sure he gives his charges plenty of affection first thing in the morning and make showering and dressing the last thing he does before he leaves the house. That should keep his brother from feeling miserable all day and becoming a health code violation by sneezing all over their coffee shop. Saying his goodbye to Donna and the cats, who are all headed back to their foster homes until the rescue's next adoption event two weeks from now, Castiel makes his way back to the ancient gold Lincoln he's been driving, since he lost the ability to make payments on the BMW he'd had back in Chicago. Castiel pats the car affectionately. It might not be flashy or fast, or reliable as the BMW. But Castiel is of the firm belief that his car makes up for its shortcoming in character. Of course, Dean hadn't been swayed by that argument the first time he'd seen Castiel's pimp-mobile, as he called it. Castiel shakes his head, his defensive reaction, and muttered, It's only temporary, in response to Dean's teasing, probably hadn't helped the spoiled rich boy impression Dean had apparently cultivated. Hopefully, Castiel has managed to show Dean a different side of himself over the past couple weeks. You're not a pimp-mobile, Castiel assures the Continental as he slides into the driver's seat and pulls out of the parking lot, his drive home filled with thoughts of Dean, now that there are no purring cats or squealing children to distract him. He'd been so close to telling Dean everything at his apartment warming party. Had started to, even, when Gabriel interrupted. After that, he'd had to quell Charlie's excitement before she gave the whole thing away. She's still mocking Castiel for managing to unknowingly fall for the same guy twice every chance she gets. Apparently, she thought they both knew one another's alter egos the entire time. By the time he'd managed to get Dean alone again, it was pretty clear the other man had finished a few more beers in Castiel's absence. The way Dean was swaying on his feet told Castiel this wasn't the right time for serious discussions or important revelations. So he'd allowed Dean to be bundled out of his apartment by Charlie and Joe, who promised to get him home in one piece, and resolved to talk to him another day. Of course, that was a week ago. Since then, Castiel has completely lost his nerve. He's tried to bring it up a couple of times, but the only place he spends time with Dean is work, and cornering Dean with a love confession in their place of business hardly seems appropriate. He's picked up his phone to call the other man several times outside of work hours, but each time he's chickened out. For his part, Dean has continued to treat Castiel the same as always, though the frowns and questioning looks Dean throws at him occasionally make it clear that he realizes something is up. He seems content for now to wait patiently for Castiel to share whatever it is. And so the stalemate continues. Letting himself into the apartment, Castiel can't help but notice how empty it feels. He hopes he's able to save up enough money soon 
to get the supplies he'll need to start fostering again. He'll have the benefit of Charlie's employee discount at Purrs and Paws, and all he really needs is a litter box, a few toys, and some cat food, especially if he sticks to fostering adult cats at first. Eventually, he'd like to foster kittens again, and thinks he might be able to swing that with his work schedule. His apartment is only a few minutes' drive from the coffee shop, after all. Dean is there most days, and they've already started advertising for another barista-slash-baking assistant to help with Dean's catering jobs. So by the time he's ready to start fostering, he should be able to slip away a couple of times throughout the day for kitten feedings. He's also fairly certain he could convince Charlie to check in on them as well. She'd done the same whenever he'd had meetings he couldn't miss back in Chicago. He resolutely pushes away thoughts of him and Dean taking turns, doing kitten check-ins, as he showers off all the cat hair and dander from his morning spent with various cats and kittens at Angel Rescue. He's definitely getting ahead of himself there. He doesn't even know how Dean's going to react to the realization that Castiel and CJ are the same person. He'd like to think that Dean will give him a chance, but Joe's voice still niggles at the back of his mind, and he wonders if Dean will still think a relationship can't possibly work between them. Or perhaps Dean won't want to risk a relationship because they work together. That would be a perfectly reasonable stance, especially given that he knows just how important Dean's bakery is to him. Castiel would never do anything that would jeopardize Dean's business, no matter the outcome of their relationship, but he could hardly blame Dean for worrying. Of course, there's also the possibility that Dean will be so angry with Castiel for not revealing himself immediately that he'll no longer be interested in pursuing something romantic with either him or CJ. Not a day has gone by that Castiel hasn't doubted and regretted his decision to take Joe's advice and delay telling Dean who he really is. Every day that fear grows, but somehow, that only makes it harder to confess. Sighing, Castiel pulls on a faded t-shirt over his most comfortable pair of jeans. This is ridiculous. It's time to tell Dean. Glancing at the clock on his nightstand, he reaches for his phone. Dean should be home by now. His baking finished for the day. Tomorrow is Sunday, Dean's day off. Perhaps he'll be willing to meet Castiel this evening, or tomorrow afternoon, to talk. Moving to thumb open his text messages, Castiel sees the little envelope notification, letting him know he has a Twitter message waiting. That can only be from D. He's tried to keep messaging Dean as CJ, not wanting Dean to think that CJ is upset with him or ignoring him after the disastrous attempt at a date, but it's been difficult. Every message feels like a lie, even if the sentiment in them is absolutely true. He can only hope Dean doesn't see it that way once he discovers who CJ is. Deciding he should read Dee's message before texting Dean, Castiel taps on the notification. Not for the first time, he wonders how some people manage to live double lives like this for months or years on end. He's been trying to be two people for the past two weeks, and he's exhausted. He feels a profound sense of relief that, one way or another, it will soon be over. 
The booing feeling of relief turns leaden as he reads Dee's message. Look, I know things are weird between us right now, but I need help and I don't know who else to ask. Cupcake is missing. Chapter 12. Remove from pan and let cool completely. Having spent the drive to Dean's neighborhood, a small manufactured home park on the outskirts of town, thinking of a plan to find or coax Cupcake back home, Castiel managed to completely forget that it was CJ Dean messaged for help and that he's certainly not going to be expecting his friend Cass from work to show up instead. Realization settles in as he pulls into one of the side street parking spaces in front of the lot number Dean relayed, and Castiel swallows. He can't back out now. Dean loves that kitten as much as he loves the classic car he's still saving up to repair, the one Castiel now realizes has been staring at him from the profile picture next to every message he's ever received from Dee. Dean must be frantic with worry. Castiel has to do what little he can to help, even if Dean never wants to talk to him again after this. Taking a deep breath, he strides up the short walkway to the beige and brown mobile home, climbing the wooden steps and knocking three times on Dean's door before he can second-guess himself. A moment later, the door swings open, revealing Dean in a simple black t-shirt and jeans, much like those he was wearing the first time Castiel had ever met him, cradling a purring cupcake against his chest. Oh, thank goodness. Castiel breathes, his knees weak with relief. Cass? Dean asks, eyebrows lifting in surprise. What are you doing here? Oh, right. As far as Dean's aware... Castiel has no reason to unexpectedly appear on his doorstep on a Saturday evening. He wasn't even invited there. CJ was. I, um, well, uh, can I come in? Castiel manages to stammer out the question, overtaken by a sudden fear that, standing as they are, Dean might just shut the door in his face when he confesses to his deception. Dean's eyebrows lift higher. Sure, man. Everything okay? He backs up to allow Castiel access to his home. Castiel walks into the small living room, not missing the way Dean's eyes are zeroed in on him as he surveys the space. The wood paneling and faded curtains might be a bit dated, but Dean's home is clean and bright, the living area tidy and uncluttered. From his current vantage point, Castiel can see through to the trailer's kitchen, Every surface is spotless and well-scrubbed as Dean keeps his bakery. Despite his nerves, Castiel finds himself smiling softly at the only sign of messiness in the room, a small pile of rather large shoes, clearly Sam's, lying next to Dean's neatly lined-up sneakers and boots near the door. "'Is Sam home?' he asks. Dean's posture relaxes slightly as he crosses the room, seating himself and Cupcake 
at one of the wooden stools on the living room side of the peninsula that separates this space from the kitchen. Nah, he works most Saturday nights. He won't be home for a few hours yet. Something on your mind, Cass? Yes, Castiel admits. There's something I need to tell you. Here it is, the moment of truth. Licking his lips, Castiel turns to face Dean fully, watching as the man sits with one foot propped up on the rung of his stool, stroking the orange cat in his arms like some sort of movie villain and looking at Castiel expectantly. I'm not who you think I am. Dean blinks. You mean you're not Castiel Novak, youngest son and would-be heir to the now-defunct Novak Empire? Uh, I hate to break it to you, man, but I've seen your Wikipedia page. Unless you've got a twin you were separated from at birth, I'm pretty sure that's you. No, I mean, yes, that's me. But I'm also someone else. Someone you know. I'm... As Castiel falters willing the words to somehow find their way out of his mouth without his actually having to say them, he sees Dean's lips quirk upward just slightly. He narrows his eyes and the quirk turns into something nearing a smirk. You know. Dean's smirk falls off his face and he looks down at the snoozing cat, scratching her under her chin. Of course I know, he scoffs. How did you know? Castiel can't help but wonder. Did Joe tell him? Castiel doesn't think she would betray him like that. This was all her idea, after all. Figured it out after your party. Dean answers dismissively, before raising his eyes to give Castiel a sharp look. The better question is, why didn't you tell me? I tried. Castiel defends helplessly. The night of the party, remember? In the kitchen. I said I needed to tell you something, but Gabe interrupted us. Yeah, but Cass, that was a week ago. You haven't told me since then, and you didn't tell me before then. How long have you known? A pained expression crosses Dean's face, and his voice is quiet when he asks, Have you known the entire time? No, Castiel assures him quickly. No, I never would have kept this from you. I never wanted to deceive you, Dean and I certainly didn't want to hurt you. He winces, especially not a second time. How long have you known, then? As quickly as he can, Castiel explains how he rushed to the roadhouse the night of their date, only to discover Joe there instead of Dean. Shaking his head as if he can't quite believe what Castiel is saying, and who could blame him, Dean remains quiet until he finishes his story. So why not tell me then? Dean asks, once Castiel stops talking. It was Joe's idea, he answers lamely, shifting on his feet and feeling very much like a troublesome child who's been sent to the principal's office and asked to explain how exactly the newly liberated class hamster ended up in the ventilation system, which was entirely Gabriel's fault for convincing a seven-year-old Castiel that the hamster deserved to be free. Dean snorts. Rule one, he says, don't take relationship advice from Joe. The longest commitment she's ever had was to the goldfish she won at the fair in seventh grade, and even that thing only lasted three months. She said if you knew I was me, you'd bail. 
that you couldn't see a relationship with me because of where and who I come from. I didn't mean it like that, Cass, I swear. Shaking his head earnestly, Dean echoes the assurances Joe had given him that night in her mom's restaurant. I know you're not like them, but you and me, we, we're from different worlds. Castiel finishes dryly, rolling his eyes. Joe said you'd say that. That's why she suggested I give you time to get to know me more as Castiel. To learn we're not as different as you think we are. Well, aren't we? Dean asks. My family owned a garage. Your family owned half the Midwest. It hasn't seemed to hinder CJ and D. Castiel points out reasonably. They seem to have discovered plenty of common interests. Dean scoffs. What? Like canceled TV shows and horror flicks? What about the rest of it? He gestures between the two of them. What about all of this is real? You said you were a former paper pusher, but you conveniently left out the fact that it was an accounting director for one of the largest corporations in the country. You said you'd got pulled into the family business, but you didn't mention that your family is a household freaking name. You talked about crashing with your brother, but you didn't mention it was only temporary because you have fuck knows how many thousands of dollars sitting in a bank somewhere just waiting for the feds to unfreeze it. You said you didn't like cats. Castiel blurts out stupidly. Hey, Dean admonishes as he cups his hands over Cupcake's ears protectively. Cupcake's not a cat. She's better people than most people I know. Cupcake expresses her appreciation by batting Dean's hands away from her ears before finally hopping off his lap and twining herself around Castiel's ankles instead. As he drops down to give the soft orange and white fur he's seen in countless photographs a scratch, a new question occurs to him. Was she even really missing? He asks suspiciously. Dean's guilty expression answers the question for him. I wanted to see what you'd do. He shrugs defensively. If you'd fess up when I was surprised to see you here, or if you'd, you know, lie, Castiel finishes for him. So, your plan was to test my honesty, by luring me here under false pretenses? He raises an eyebrow, and even though Castiel is literally kneeling at his feet, it's Dean who squirms now. I didn't say it was a good plan, he grumbles. As Cupcake rubs her face against his palm affectionately, before sauntering off toward the kitchen, Castiel looks up at Dean. You gave her a chance. Why can't you give me one? Dean rolls his eyes, but his voice is soft when he says, Yeah, well, I didn't have much of a choice with her. She started up that purring and rubbed her little whiskers against my face the first time I scratched her belly and I was done for. I can 100% guarantee I'll do the same. Castiel deadpans immediately, and Dean snorts despite himself. You also said you didn't know how to flirt, he accuses with a pointed eyebrow. Castiel shrugs awkwardly from his position on the floor. Maybe I was just flirting with the wrong people before. You make it fun. I didn't know it could be like that. Son of a bitch. Dean breathes, shaking his head with a wry chuckle. I can't believe I didn't figure it out. Who else says shit like that to me? 
Seeming to come to a decision, he stands, reaching a hand out to Castiel. All right, he says gruffly, gesturing upwards with a jerk of his head. Get up. Feeling confused but hopeful, Dean doesn't look like he's about to throw Castiel out of his home. He reaches up to grasp the offered hand. Okay, he says as Dean hauls him upright and into his space. What? You owe me a date, Dean explains with a smirk that would be close enough for Castiel to kiss off him if he weren't in complete shock. Blinking as Dean lets him go and heads for the kitchen, he manages a question. Does that mean we're okay? Didn't say that, Dean calls over his shoulder as he rummages through the refrigerator. That depends on how the date goes. A moment later, he resurfaces with a pound of ground beef and a couple of beers. I waited for an hour and a half, man, he says darkly. I had to talk to Meg. In my defense, Castiel says slowly, his feet finally moving to follow Dean into the kitchen. I had to talk to her, too, and she may have tried to poison me. Pausing, Dean tilts his head in acknowledgement of Castiel's near demise before ducking back into the refrigerator and pulling out a head of lettuce and a large ripe tomato, wondering if this is Dean's way of telling him he's overstayed his welcome. Castiel decides he should probably wrap up their conversation and be on his way, even if leaving is the absolute last thing he wants to do now that it seems he might actually have another chance with the man in front of him. Did you have something in mind for our date? He asks, hoping Dean can't hear the way his heart is pounding behind his ribs. Yep, Dean says, grabbing a bottle opener out of the drawer next to the refrigerator and popping the caps off of each of the beer bottles before extending one to Castiel. I thought I could cook you dinner. Here. Now. Staring between the beer in Dean's outstretched hand and the ground beef on the counter, Castiel asks, You want to cook me dinner for our first date? Well, Dean nods to the meat, I did promise you the best burgers in South Dakota. Suddenly, looking less certain, he adds, If that's okay. I mean, we don't have to. It's wonderful, Dean. Castiel interrupts quickly. I don't think anyone's ever cooked me dinner on a date before. He admits sheepishly. Dean stares at him for a moment, his expression going soft, before grinning. Well, that's because they weren't the meat man. Castiel chokes on his beer. The meat man? Yup, Dean answers happily as Castiel wipes his chin. That expression. I'm not sure it means what you think it means. Oh, believe me, Princess Bride, it does. Dean tosses him a wink that leaves him feeling decidedly warmer than he was a moment ago, before adding casually, Besides, this way I don't have to worry about you standing me up again. His teasing grin softens the words, and Castiel shakes his head. You do realize it wasn't my fault, right? Meg, Dean retorts, and Castiel rolls his eyes, not bothering to hide his own grin. Can I help with anything? He asks, as Dean washes his hands and pulls down a large metal bowl. Sure. Grab that head of lettuce and start tearing off leaves. 
Then you can slice up the tomatoes. Long as you promise not to cut off a finger. ER trips do not make for a sexy first date. After dumping the ground beef into the bowl, Dean adds a conglomeration of spices and begins mixing it with his hands, a process Castiel refuses to watch. His Dean hand kink certainly hasn't lost potency since Castiel discovered Dean and Dee are one and the same, and the last thing he needs is for it to kick in while Dean is patting up raw meat. Washing his own hands and focusing on his lettuce, Castiel takes a moment to appreciate how Dean never chases him out of the kitchen or makes him feel bad for his culinary ineptitude. Instead, since the very first time they met, he finds a way to make Castiel feel included. Can I ask you a question? Dean interrupts his introspection, casting him a sideways glance as he shapes the beef into round, even patties. Of course. How exactly were you planning on telling Dee about the whole Novak situation? I mean, if I hadn't been him. And why didn't you ever mention it before? I was planning on telling you on our date, Castiel answers. Before then, would you have even believed me? Well, if you hadn't already known me, of course. Castiel says, and wow, talking about being two people is turning out to be just as difficult as being two people was. I figured it was even money that you'd either think I was crazy or that I was catfishing you. Maybe both. Dean nods. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Plus, Castiel adds after a moment's reflection, tearing the lettuce as he talks. It was freeing, getting to be someone other than Castiel Novak for a while, knowing that there was at least one person out there who, for reasons I still don't quite understand, liked me for me. I didn't do any of this to trick you, Dean, even before I knew you were you. I just didn't want to give that up. Carefully stacking the lettuce leaves into a neat pile, he avoids Dean's eyes. I get that, Dean admits, equally focused on stacking burger patties. I liked being able to be someone else, too. Being able to just, I don't know, talk to someone about shit that matters, without them knowing all my baggage and bullshit, you know? But I don't know. Dean trails off, shaking his head as he wipes his hands on a nearby towel, before turning on the stove and adding oil to the heating skillet. What don't you know? Castiel asks curiously, placing the plateful of lettuce to the side and reaching for the tomato and knife sitting next to the cutting board. Keeping his eyes on his task, Dean shrugs. Look around you, man. This ain't exactly fine dining. Castiel pauses in his slicing to study Dean's profile, watching the other man's cheeks tint pink under his scrutiny as he adds four burger patties to the waiting pan. I know you don't have access to your money right now or whatever, Dean continues, but I guarantee you there's been times when you spent more money on a single meal than I do on groceries for the entire week. And I ain't faulting you for that. Hell knows if I could, I would. Grabbing an unlabeled container from the counter, he shakes it liberally over the burgers. Garlic powder, salt, and pepper, he explains at Castiel's quizzical look. My not-so-secret secret seasoning. Hmm. Castiel hums noncommittally 
as he layers the tomato slices onto the waiting saucer. You were saying? I don't know. Dean swallows. It's just, after a life of prime rib, how are greasy bar burgers on discount paper plates ever going to be enough? How do you know that six months from now, how do you know that six months from now you're not going to get a craving and decide to go back to prime rib? Dean's cheeks are decidedly pink now, the double meaning to his words made even clearer by the shame-faced expression. Castiel's heart aches at the sight. I did tell you burgers are my favorite, he says, going along with Dean's metaphor, and I've never really been a fan of prime rib, to be honest. Well, sure, burgers are great every once in a while, but that doesn't mean you want to eat them every day. Dean argues stubbornly as he flips their burgers. Coronary disease aside, why not? Castiel asks, deliberately obtuse. I'm fairly certain I could live quite happily on a daily diet of cheeseburgers. I don't know, man, Dean says, gesturing with his spatula in exasperation. Indigestion. Indigestion? Castiel asks, trying not to laugh as he arches an eyebrow in question. You heard me, indigestion, Dean agrees as he layers a thick slice of cheddar cheese on top of each sizzling burger. Just to clarify, is our relationship giving me acid reflux or gas in this metaphor? Castiel asks seriously, biting back a smile, because one of those is a deal-breaker. Oh, fuck you, Dean laughs, lobbing a half-slice of cheddar at Castiel, which bounces off his chest and down to the floor, where a bundle of orange and white fur quickly pounces on it before hightailing it out of the kitchen with her prey. You know what I mean. I do know what you mean, Castiel agrees, as he prepares two plates with the hamburger buns he finds in the cabinet Dean gestures at. But money or no money, Dean, I'm never going back to the kind of life I led before. I mean it when I told you how miserable I was. Prime rib didn't make me happy. He adds, rolling his eyes teasingly at Dean's food metaphor. Burgers make me happy. You make me happy. Is it so surprising that I'd want to stay with you? Stepping past Castiel to wash his hands again at the sink, Dean dries them on a dish towel before hanging it on the oven handle. Yeah, well, you'd be the first, he says with a forced lightness that causes a protective twinge in Castiel's chest. Before he can comment, though, Dean claps his hands and gestures to the freshly plated burgers. All right, time to get our meat on. After dressing their burgers with the vegetables and condiments, they move to the small round dining table. Castiel settles into one of the spindly-legged chairs, very aware of Dean's eyes on him as he picks up the first of his two burgers. You know, some people might have made only one burger apiece and added a side. A salad, maybe, he teases. But not the meat man, I suppose. You're damn straight not the meat man, Dean says, looking horrified at the very idea. Now shut up and eat your burger. Taking a bite... Castiel has an immediate change of heart. Dean didn't lie. 
This isn't only the best burger he's had in South Dakota. It might just be the best burger he's had anywhere. Ooh, he attempts before pausing to swallow his mouthful of burger and trying again. These make me very happy. Dean beams at him from across the table, and Castiel feels like the sun has come out for the first time in days. How could Dean think he would ever willingly give this up? I guess you weren't joking when you said burgers are your favorite. Dean chuckles, adding a moment later, I still can't believe you're you. I know, Castiel agrees. It's surreal. All this time I wondered how I could be so attracted to the hot baker in the next room, while also being so attached to someone I'd never met. And it turns out you were the same person all along. Hearing a plaintive yowl from beneath the table, Castiel looks down to see Cupcake rubbing up against his legs once more. Hello, you, he murmurs, wiping off his fingers to give her a scratch under the chin. I suppose we haven't been properly introduced. I'm Castiel. It's a pleasure to meet you. Cupcake sniffs his shoes in response before flopping onto her side and rubbing her face against the laces. Traitor, Dean murmurs at her, before shooting a pointed look at Castiel. Don't be thinking you can win me over by sucking up to my cat. Why, it's not working, Castiel jokes. I didn't say that, Dean mumbles around a mouthful of burger. Castiel chuckles. I'm sure she just smells the other rescue cats on my clothes. Conversation turns to lighter topics after that, as Castiel tells Dean about his renewed work at the rescue, and Dean tells him about how he's almost saved enough money to begin repairs on his baby, the 1967 Impala his dad left him. It's not until after dinner is finished and their burgers are settling that they find their way back to something more serious. And then I had to pedal his dumb ass to the ER on the handlebars of my bike, I thought Dad was going to kill me. Dean takes a swig of beer number two, grinning proudly as Castiel laughs. I can't believe you actually convinced your brother he could fly. Castiel shakes his head. That's just wrong. Come on, Dean grins. I'm sure Gabe convinced you to do plenty of stupid things growing up. There were definitely a few memorable experiences but we were too far apart in age for him to do anything too horrible to me. Aside from the time he convinced me to liberate the classroom pet, he was much more of a menace to Michael and Luke. Mainly, I remember him making me laugh. Castiel pauses. It was very quiet after he left. How old were you? Dean asks, forehead scrunched up in concern. Eight, he answers, and Dean gapes at him. Eight? Gabriel is ten years older than me, Castiel explains. Luke and Michael, twelve. I was something of a surprise. But he knew all about how you were in school. Castiel chuckles fondly. Just because he couldn't contact me didn't mean he didn't keep tabs on me. My brother might be an unconventional Novak, but he's still a Novak. I'm sure he knew both the goings-on of the Novak household and business empire at all times. 
I'm not actually convinced he didn't play a role in bringing it all down. A light bulb seems to go on behind Dean's eyes. Speaking of which, uh, there's something I should probably tell you. That night at your apartment, Gabe admitted that he only bought the bean and let it fail so he'd be able to convince you to come and save it. Hmm. Castiel nods. I can't say that I'm terribly surprised. Gabriel isn't nearly as impulsive as he lets people think he is. Well, he is. But only when he knows he has the money to back up whatever absurd risk he's taking. I wondered at the time why he would have bought the place without someone to run it. But it doesn't bother you that he's been lying and faking being an idiot all this time? Dean stands, picking up Castiel's plate with his own and heading for the sink. Castiel follows, collecting their half-finished beers and moving them to the countertop before stowing the condiments back in the refrigerator. Believe me, he's still an idiot, he says, passing Dean the now-cool frying pan from the stove as the sink fills with hot, soapy water. He knows Dean likes to stack all of the dirty dishes next to the sink before he begins washing. My brother might be a schemer, but when it comes to day-to-day -day operations, he has neither the attention span nor the inclination to properly run a business. He might not have needed me to manage the sweet bean, but he certainly needed someone. Besides, he shrugs, I suppose I can't be too angry about it when it's brought me you. I am one hell of a perk, Dean winks as he begins washing the silverware. You know, Gabe acts like such a perpetual twelve-year-old. I guess it's no wonder I didn't realize how much older he is. Towels are in that drawer. He nods to a drawer between the stove and sink. Wait, you didn't read his Wikipedia article? Castiel teases, and Dean blushes. Yeah, well, there's really only one Novak I'm interested in. He retorts, and now it's Castiel's turn to blush. Castiel focuses on drying the freshly washed dishes as he considers his next words. What you said earlier about me being the first to stay with you. My childhood may have been privileged, Dean, but it was also lonely. I know what it's like to be left behind, and it's not something I do easily to other people. Just ask Charlie. He jokes as he reaches to return the plates to the cabinet he watched Dean pull them down from earlier. I've dragged her across three states now. Reaching for the washed and rinsed frying pan, the last dish, since Dean always saves the pots and pans for last, he adds. Whatever the capacity, be it as colleagues, business partners, friends, or something more, I plan to have you as a part of my life for a very long time. Same, Cass. Dean responds quietly, holding both the pan and Castiel's gaze longer than necessary. Clearing his throat as he finally pulls his eyes and the pan away from Dean, Castiel adds, And whatever does or doesn't happen with us, what we've shared these past few months has meant more to me than you know. Rubbing repeatedly at the same section of the well-dried Teflon, he takes a deep breath. Maybe it was just Netflix binges and cheesy movies to you, but to me... Those conversations got me through one of the most difficult periods of my life. 
I could come home at the end of a long day, knowing there wasn't just an air mattress and an empty apartment waiting for me, but a friend. There were so many dark nights you made better, just by being you. You had Charlie, Dean mumbles, a sudsy hand rubbing bashfully at the back of his neck. Yes, Castiel agrees, and she's been amazing, which is exactly why I've tried not to lean on her so much. Plus, it's not the same. He quirks a grin. She doesn't send me adorable pictures of a cute kitten curled up with a sexy guy. Though she probably would if I asked. He adds after a moment of reflection. Eyes downcast, Dean snorts again softly, the corner of his mouth ticking upward in wry amusement. Castiel wants nothing more than to feel the curve of that smirk against his lips, to trace that teasing smile with his tongue. My point is, he continues, you asked what about all this is real. When Dean looks back up, Castiel holds his gaze, strong and sure. We are. Cass, Dean murmurs, but whatever he's about to say next is suddenly interrupted by a blur of orange fur. Cupcake lands on the countertop to their left, knocking over a half-filled beer bottle with a very wet thunk and looking quite pleased with herself for sticking the landing after her daring leap from the kitchen rug. Damn it, Cupcake, this is why we can't have nice things. Dean scolds the unrepentant kitten, as he reaches for the rolling brown bottle. Castiel tears a fistful of paper towels from the roll next to the sink, leaning past Dean to sop up the beer before it can drip onto the floor. Mess mopped up and crisis averted, Castiel looks up to find Dean much closer, the distance between them suddenly erased. Instead of stepping back, Dean licks his lips nervously, and Castiel is reminded forcefully of spilled coffee and an early morning almost kiss. Dean even smells the same as he did that morning, after he changed for the catering, that spicy cologne blending with the sweet scents of their baking and the earthier coffee notes. Wetting his own suddenly dry lips, he watches as Dean's eyes drift down to follow the motion, the energy between them so tangible He'd swear he can feel his fingertips tingling with it. Terrified of breaking the spell, Castiel doesn't move. He barely dares to breathe as Dean's eyes roam his face. Castiel isn't sure what he's looking for, but he must find it because a moment later, one of those large baker's hands Castiel adores so much cups his cheek, pulling him into a gentle kiss. Castiel goes willingly, as pliable beneath Dean's fingers as the dough he shapes into fresh bagels each morning. The kiss is slow but sure, Dean's lips meeting his with a quiet certainty that soothes Castiel's soul more than anything else has tonight. There's nothing tentative or indecisive about the way Dean's mouth moves against his, nor the way his tongue teases at Castiel's lips begging an entry that Castiel quickly grants as he brings a hand to Dean's hip, tugging him gently forward and tilting his head to deepen their kiss. Dean responds immediately, the fingers on Castiel's jaw slipping into his hair as Dean's free arm wraps around his waist, 
pressing them together from chest to hip. Castiel isn't sure how long they stand like that, but eventually Dean begins to draw back, easing their kiss to an end. Castiel has to fight not to lean forward and capture those lips once more. As they stand there, still wrapped up in one another's arms, ragged breasts mingling between them, Dean exhales shakily. So, what do you want to do now? Three episodes of Buffy, two Evil Dead movies, and one outstanding makeout session later. Dean blinks as the movie credits cut off, the TV flipping back to the title card. Movie's over. He murmurs breathily as Cass's lips continue their path along his neck. He hasn't spent this much time making out with someone fully clothed since, fuck, high school maybe? It's innocent and hot and thrilling in a way that Dean wasn't expecting. But it's about to get a lot less of one of those, and a lot more of the others, if Cass hits that spot on his collarbone. Fortunately, sadly, Cass pulls back after a final teasing swipe of his tongue. For the record. He says, his voice even deeper than it usually is, and far more breathy. When I told you we were to have lots of things in common, I meant things other than your weird Bruce Campbell fetish. It's not a fetish, Dean pouts, poking Cass in the ribs from his position underneath the other man on Dean's shabby sofa. Cass grins and Dean feels himself melt. He'd put up with any amount of teasing to see Cass look like that all the time. All right, fine he says, looking up into those startlingly blue eyes. Aside from your poor taste in movies, I'll admit we do have a lot in common. Does that mean I get a second date? Cass asks teasingly, without having to wade through meat metaphors. The truth is, Dean's known he'd give this thing between him and Cass a shot ever since he'd opened his door to find Cass on his welcome mat looking completely distressed over Dean's missing kitten. Really, he'd known since he first put the pieces together after Cass's party and realized the two men he'd found himself so inescapably drawn to over the past months were, in fact, the same person. He'd wondered at first if Cass really had been catfishing him, if he'd been leading him on on purpose, but it just didn't seem to fit. Cass was right. Dean may not have known everything about him when they were talking as C.J. and D., but like he'd told Sam, he knew him. Still, though, as the days had passed and Cass hadn't said anything, Dean's doubts had grown, hence the desperate and ill-conceived missing kitten ruse. Not that he's upset about how that turned out, of course. That depends, he pretends to muse. Do you promise to do that thing with your tongue again? Grinning wickedly now, Cass leans down and plants a kiss next to Dean's ear. Oh, I can do far more than that with my tongue. 
Pushing Cass's face away playfully, Dean groans, trying very hard not to shift his hips and give away just how much his body is into this turn of events. Fuck, Dean breathes. Not that I'm not enjoying this, but it's getting late. I'd ask you to stay, but I know you don't. Dean inhales sharply as Cash shifts above him to better see his face. Usually hook up on the first date. I want to respect that, but I think I'm going to need to end this date in order to do it. Cash sighs, planting a reassuring kiss on Dean's lips before sitting up fully and climbing off Dean's lap. You're right, he says, turning away. Dean quickly takes the moment to not so subtly adjust the situation in his pants, Cass obviously doing the same, which of course makes Dean's situation even worse, in what is going to quickly become the ninth circle of blue ball hell if he doesn't get Cass the fuck out of here. Standing up, Dean runs a hand through his disheveled hair, which has nothing on the fucked out mess Cass doesn't even bother trying to tame. I'll walk you to the door, he teases, placing a hand on the small of Cass's back and guiding him the six steps across the living room. Thank you for the lovely evening, Dean, Cass says coyly, before stopping and turning to face him. Seriously, though, he adds, thank you for giving us a chance. We may have come from different places, but that doesn't mean we aren't traveling in the same direction. Despite himself, Dean snorts, and you make fun of my metaphors. You read that in a fortune cookie, Confucius? My apologies, Castiel snarks dryly. I didn't realize you were expecting poetry. Of course I'm expecting poetry, Dean teases, placing his hand on Cass's hips and pulling him closer even though the theoretical goal here is supposed to include Cass moving further away. You're supposed to be making up for standing me up. What? Don't Novaks know how to grovel? Castiel arches an eyebrow. Are you saying you want me back on my knees? He asks as he finally pulls away and steps into his shoes. Yes, please. Dean swallows. Dude, you're making this hard. Before Cass can respond, Dean clamps a hand over his mouth. Cass's eyes glitter with the smirk Dean can feel against his palm. Dropping his hand, Dean uses it to pull the beautiful asshole into another searing kiss as he opens the door. Reaching a hand up to cup Dean's jaw, Cass draws him forward as he steps back, so that Dean ends up kissing him right out the door and onto the welcome mat beyond. Finally breaking apart, Cass looks at him with a small smile. You've walked me to the door and kissed me goodbye. Does this mean our first date is officially over? Still a little breathless, Dean nods. Yeah, I think so. Date one, in the books. Cass nods. Good. The next thing Dean knows, he's being pressed up against the living room wall, the screen door banging shut after Cass rushes back through it, his mouth slamming into Dean's along the way. Ask me to stay. Cass purrs in Dean's ear, guttural and low, before nipping at Dean's earlobe and pressing a kiss just below it. Stay, Dean gasps out, 
his brain short-circuiting at the feeling of Cass's tongue tracing the shell of his ear. I thought you'd never ask. Cass quips. Dean would have a witty comeback for that, he swears, but it's kind of hard to sass with someone's tongue rammed down your throat. Instead, he focuses on kissing Cass back, giving as good as he's getting. Shifting his stance against the wall, he pulls Cass to him, one hand sliding into that disastrous hair, the other fisting the back of Cass's shirt. Cass slides eagerly into the space between Dean's legs, moving forward until their bodies are flush against one another, save for the annoying layers of cotton and denim between them. But that doesn't stop Dean from being able to feel the outline of the erection Cass was trying to be discreet about just a few minutes ago, though, pressing against his thigh. On instinct, Dean tightens the arm around Cass's waist, pulling him impossibly closer as Cass rolls his hips in response, pressing his own thigh into Dean's suddenly aching cock. Suppressing a whimper, Dean breaks their kiss, burying his face in Cass's neck. Bedroom? He feels Cass nodding, the scruff that moved well beyond five o'clock shadow while they were watching movies on Dean's sofa, grazing his temple before Cass pulls back. Are you sure? he asks, trailing a thumb over Dean's cheekbone. Dean has to resist capturing the digit between his teeth so he can answer. Well, I didn't wear my I'm-gonna-get-laid cologne for nothing. He answers lightly, waggling his eyebrows and flashing his best cheeky grin. Barking out an unexpected laugh, Cass squints at him. You wore the same one to the roadhouse, didn't you? Surprised, Dean fights a blush. How did Cass know that? I might have. He mumbles in a casual tone that's sure to be a dead giveaway. Cass raises an eyebrow. Presumptuous. Dean shakes his head. Hopeful. Cass's smile widens and Dean pushes off the wall, pressing another kiss against those soft pink lips as he intertwines their fingers. After Cass kicks off the shoes he'd just put back on, Dean tugs him along, feeling suddenly grateful that the trailer's two bedrooms are on opposite ends. Cass doesn't waste any time once they reach Dean's bedroom, pulling Dean into a long, slow kiss as they fumble with buttons and zippers. Cass's fingers drag over Dean's pecs and down his sides, finally coming to rest on the waistband of his jeans as he pushes Cass's open shirt off those broad shoulders, covering the newly exposed skin in wet, sucking kisses instead. It's not until they're down to boxer briefs and Dean is pressing Cass down into the memory foam that he realizes the fingertips Cass can't seem to stop trailing across Dean's face are trembling faintly. Hey, you okay? he asks, capturing Cass's hand in his and pressing a soft kiss to those fingers. Eyes shining in the dim light of Dean's bedside lamp, Cass's smile is a soft, quiet thing, I'm overwhelmed, in a good way, he adds quickly when Dean tenses, preparing to move away. Cass's hands move to Dean's arms, anchoring him there as he explains. 
I can't believe this is really happening. I knew what I felt for D, for you, was real. But getting to have you, like this, getting to touch you and be touched by you, I wasn't sure it would ever happen, especially not after I messed everything up. Dean shakes his head. You didn't mess anything up, Cass. He assures, one way or another, I think we were always going to end up here. I didn't take you for the kind to believe in fate. I'm not, Dean agrees. I just mean that no matter how or when our dumb asses figured this out, I think I still would have chosen you. Not because it was meant to be or some bullshit. Just because you're you. We just... We fit. We're better together, you know? Dean grimaces internally. Apparently, his tendency to overshare and gush about his feelings to CJ, like a 13-year-old girl with a poetry journal, extends beyond Twitter DMs. Leaning down, he kisses Cass soundly before pulling back far enough to murmur, And because you have a great ass. Cass snorts, not falling for Dean's deflection, like fucking always. He threads his fingers through Dean's hair. I choose you too, Dean. He murmurs as he drags Dean's head down for another kiss. Dean lowers himself down against Cass's firm body, his dick becoming impossibly harder as it drags against Cass's through the thin fabric of their underwear. Cass groans as Dean captures his mouth again, tongue plunging inside to taste and tease. Cass hums as Dean works his way downward, kisses and day-old scruff dragging down pecs and abs that could make a man weep, the very same toned muscles he saw in that pre-shower photo CJ sent him. Dean realizes, and abruptly he understands why Cass was feeling overwhelmed. This entire situation is so surreal. Feeling dizzy with relief that they actually did figure this out, that they're finally here, he nips at sharp hip bones before kissing his way along the waistband of Cass's boxer briefs. Dean, Cass whimpers, and goddamn, the asshole has no right to be this hot. Dean places a gentle kiss against Cass's cock, where it strains against the charcoal-colored cotton. Can I? He whispers. Please, comes the gasped response. As Dean hooks his fingers under the elastic waistband and begins sliding the fabric down Cass's thick thighs, the other man props himself up on his elbows, watching with something like awe. Longer than Dean, if not as thick, Cass's cock hits his stomach with a solid thwack that's followed by a quiet gasp from its owner. Wetting his lips in anticipation, Dean admires the picture before him as he continues removing the only obstacle preventing him from having his head between those thighs. He refuses to rush, though, sliding his hands slowly down Cass's sculpted calves and enjoying the drag of Cass's coarse hair against his palms. It's been a long time since Dean's gotten any, and even longer since he's been with a man. Since he's been this intimate? Well, never. He's going to get this right. 
Dean finishes pulling off Cass's underwear, tossing them to the floor as Cass spreads his legs invitingly beneath him. Fuck, Castiel. Dean groans, cupping himself through his own boxer briefs as his cock gives a very interested twitch at the sight. Cass's eyes zero in on Dean's bulge, just barely concealed by black jersey. I want to see you, he begs. Please. Quick to comply, Dean climbs off the bed, dropping his underwear and feeling his dick spring to attention as Cass brings a hand to his own leaping cock. Oh, fuck, Dean breathes. You don't know what you do to me, Cass. I've been thinking about you touching yourself ever since you sent me that goddamn picture. Cass grins, and how he can be both shy and shameless at the same time is a mystery for another day. Well, that's fitting, since I've been touching myself and thinking about you for just as long. Dean waggles his eyebrows. Yeah, which me? Cass's hand stills where he had begun to stroke himself lightly. Both, he admits quietly. I, I hope that's okay. I would start thinking about D, but it's hard to picture someone you've never seen and somehow he kept morphing into you. Remembering his own fantasy CJ ending up with very familiar blue eyes, Dean smiles. I know the feeling. He chuckles. And you don't need to apologize for fantasizing about me while you were fantasizing about me. Dean licks his lips especially since you're about to tell me about it. I am. Cass's hand starts slowly moving along his cock again, and Dean stares, hypnotized. Yeah. He answers hoarsely. Want to hear what you thought about? Your hands. Cass answers immediately. I kept thinking about your hands on me, touching me, stroking my cock. Cass pauses, opening me up. Fuck. You got a hand kink, Cass? He teases, trailing his hand down his own stomach before splaying his fingers wide below his navel. Licking his lips unconsciously, Cass answers, Only since I met you, since that very first baking class. Dean can't tell if the flush in Cass's cheeks is from embarrassment or arousal, but it's gorgeous either way. Stroking himself, he recounts his own favorite fantasy to Cass. Honestly, I've wanted you just as long, Cass. As Cass, as CJ, I just want you so much. He's panting by the end and the flush from Cass's cheeks has spread down his chest as his hand speeds up. Kept thinking about you, thinking about me, imagining me touching you in the shower, my hands all over your wet body, pressing up against you from behind, kissing down the back of your neck as you're stroking yourself, until I reach around, knocking your hands away and taking over. Fuck, Dean, I want that. Wanted that for so long. Wanted you for so long. Dean had been looking forward to getting his mouth on that perfect fucking cock, 
but knowing about Cass's appreciation for his hands changes the game plan a bit. Bending down to open the drawer of his nightstand, he pulls out the bottle of Astroglide he keeps there before straddling Cass on the bed. Reaching for him immediately, Cass pulls him into another kiss. It starts out a little frantic, the edge amped up by their little show-and-tell session from a moment ago, but quickly deepens into something more sure as Cass's arms come around him. Breaking their kiss on a gasp as their cocks finally come together, trapped between their overheated bodies, Dean rolls his hips. The friction feels fantastic, and if he didn't already have a plan, Dean would be happy to rut against Cass like this until they both find release. Instead, he rolls off Cass, settling beside him on the bed instead. Turn this way, he mutters, placing his hand on Cass's bicep and rolling the other man away from him. Cass turns obediently and Dean immediately crowds in behind him, molding his body to Cass's, his cock nestled snugly in the crease of that incredible ass. He bites back a whimper as Cass grinds his ass against Dean's dick. Flipping open the cap, Dean hovers the lube bottle in front of Cass, shaking it gently in question. Slowing his hand, Cass nods and then gasps again as Dean drizzles the cool lube over his cock. Don't stop, he whispers hotly in Cass's ear, smirking to himself as Cass's hand picks up pace again. Dropping the lube onto the mattress, Dean shifts, sliding one arm beneath Cass's head so he's lying on Dean's bicep. Cass hums appreciatively, bringing his newly freed hand up to twine his fingers with Dean's and squeeze. Squeezing back, Dean brings his free hand to Cass's chest, splaying his fingers firmly against the broad pectorals. He trails his fingers teasingly up and down Cass's abdomen, causing the man to wriggle against him. When Dean swipes his thumb across a nipple, Cass groans loudly. Dean's never been good at expressing himself with words. He's always been more of a hands-on guy. <laughs> but he gets the feeling Cass might not mind that. So, you like my hands, Cass? Dean whispers into Cass's ear, gaining a breathy, Yes, so much, Dean, in return. Smiling into Cass's dark hair, Dean brings the same thumb up to Cass's mouth, dragging it slowly across his lips until Cass opens for him. Dean slips his thumb inside and finds that he's suddenly the one squirming as Cass eagerly swirls his tongue around the digit, sucking and sliding his lips along that thumb with such gusto it makes Dean's cock twitch with what Dean can only assume is envy. Finally retracting his thumb, Dean drops his hand back to Cass's chest and swipes the now wet digit over Cass's nipple, rubbing it in small circles that have the dark bud perking up beneath his touch and earning a sharp intake of breath from Cass. After giving the other nipple the same treatment, he slowly drags his hand down, feeling the ridge of every tense and trembling abdominal muscle as he moves closer to where Cass is, 
somewhat distractedly, stroking his own cock. And where do you want my hand? Dean asks, sliding his hand down the dark happy trail towards Cass's cock before diverting it at the last second and smoothing over his solid thigh instead. Fuck, these thighs. My cock, Cass pants. Touch me. Fuck, please, touch me. Dean obliges, moving to cup Cass's balls in his hand first. The ragged moan Cass lets out at that sends a jolt straight to Dean's dick, and he has to bury his face in Cass's neck for a moment. He's supposed to be teasing Cass here, but he's every bit as ramped up. He's never wanted someone so bad in his entire life. And the fact that he gets to have this? Kiss me. Dean pleads against his hot skin. Cass cranes his head toward Dean, and Dean releases him long enough to place a palm against Cass's cheek to help him along. The kiss is sloppy and desperate and perfect. Finally taking Cass in hand, Dean deepens the kiss as much as he can, given the angle, while Cass moans into his mouth. Dean strokes the smooth, velvety length of Cass's cock, hot and heavy and fucking divine in his hand, pausing only to add more lube. Cass whimpers at the cool lube, his head lolling side to side against Dean's bicep. More, Dean. I need more. Anything you want, Dean murmurs, planting a kiss against Cass's sweaty temple. Cass seems a little too overcome for words, but Dean has a pretty good idea what the man trembling in his arms needs. Releasing Cass's cock and letting his hand trail further back, he gets his confirmation when Cass wriggles, spreading his legs as wide as he can while still lying on his side. Dean grasps underneath Cass's knee, drawing his leg up and over Dean's own, so that Cass is lying partially on his back, legs splayed wide and wanton. Cass's cock stands flush against his stomach, red and leaking, but neither man pays it any mind, as Dean slips a lube-slick finger between Cass's cheeks. This okay? he asks quietly wanting to be sure. Cass nods weakly. Just go slow. It's been a long time. Promise, Dean says, while pressing another kiss against Cass's sweat-damp forehead. And how long has it been since he kissed someone so tenderly? I never want to hurt you, sweetheart. Same, Cass murmurs with a smile that already looks hazy and fucked out when they've barely gotten started. Time to earn that smile. Dean rubs gently over Cass's hole, unable to suppress a grin at the way Cass wiggles and tries to spread his legs even wider, chasing the stimulation. He doesn't tease long before slipping a fingertip past Cass's furled entrance. Oh, God, Dean. Cass moans, as Dean slides his finger in and out, moving past the first knuckle and up to the second. Okay? Dean asks with a smirk. Fucking perfect. Cass groans. More. I want another. 
This has been more than Dean's ever known Cass to swear, as either Cass or CJ, and it's doing terrible, wonderful things to his neglected cock. Dean slips a second finger in after the first, twisting slightly as he moves in and out of Cass's body to increase the stimulation. It's not long before Cass begins rocking his pelvis down to meet Dean's fingers. Once Cass begins rocking in earnest, and Dean is certain he can move his hand around more without giving Cass too much stretch, he hooks his fingers and turns them in search of Cass's prostate. A few thrusts of his fingers later, he reaches his goal, drawing a half-moan, half-shout from the man writhing against him. Fuck. There, Dean. Cass shouts brokenly, and Dean happily obeys. Can you take another finger, or is this enough? He asks, his own voice rough and wrecked, just from watching Cass. Another. Cass answers immediately, and Dean pauses, pressing a kiss to the damp curls at Cass's hairline, before he slides his arm out from beneath his head, sitting up halfway and repositioning so he can get a better angle. As promised, he adds a third finger before continuing to finger-fuck Cass, making the man beneath him keen with every touch to his prostate. Touch yourself, Cass. I want to see you come. Fuck, you have no idea how many times I've pictured you coming in my mind. Dean's nearly babbling, but it can't be helped. His dick's so damn hard, he's pretty sure it's making him lightheaded at this point. Surprisingly, Cass shakes his head. Not yet. I want. What do you want? Dean asks when Cass hesitates, slowing his hand to stop and catching Cass's gaze with his. I want you to come with me. Careful to pull his fingers out slowly, he knows from personal experience that being left suddenly empty isn't always the greatest feeling. Dean dives for Cass's mouth sliding his arm beneath the other man once more in order to roll Cass toward him so he can deepen their kiss. Cass doesn't stop there, however, swinging a leg over Dean's hips and settling himself on top of Dean, who can't do anything but stare up at the lust-blown blue eyes, flushed face, and dark wild hair above him. Cass looks like an avenging angel, arrived in Dean's bedroom to either reward or punish him, and Dean would gladly take either option, as long as it'll keep Cass looking at him that way. You're beautiful, he whispers, completely in awe. You're perfect, Cass murmurs in return. Gorgeous. He leans down to kiss Dean's forehead. Kind. His cheeks. Selfless. Their cocks graze one another maddeningly with each kiss, and Dean whines as his hips buck up of their own accord. Chuckling, Cass leans over Dean one more time, rolling his hips teasingly as he grabs Dean's pillows and prompts him to sit up so he can position them behind him. Bean propped up against the pillows presses his cock flush against Cass's, and Dean suddenly wondering if he's about to regret all this teasing foreplay in the best possible way. Picking up the lube, Cass pours some on his hand, 
before wrapping it around both of them and stroking slowly. It's my turn, he says breathlessly, speeding up his hand as Dean grips Cass's thighs, holding on for dear life and praying he'll be able to hold his orgasm off long enough to maintain at least some tiny amount of dignity. I've wanted to touch you for so long, Dean. Wanted to feel you. Wanted you to be more than words on a screen. <sighs> is about all Dean can manage at the moment. He hopes Cass knows how heartfelt it is. Cass brings his free hand up to cover Dean's where it's clutching at his leg. Letting go of Cass's other leg, no small feat. Dean adds his hand to Cass's where it's still stripping their cocks. The feeling of their cocks held fast together between their interlaced fingers is one of the most intense sexual experiences of Dean's life. Jesus, he's been balls deep in someone, or vice versa, and not felt this level of intimacy. Dean can't believe that there was ever a part of him that thought he could give this up. Are you close? Cass rasps above him. Close? Dean squeaks, disbelieving. I was close as soon as you climbed into my lap. Good, then come for me, Dean. Despite telling Dean to come, it's Cass who does so first, thick stripes of hot cum hitting Dean's stomach and dragging him right over the edge as well. Fuck, Castiel, Dean nearly shouts as he watches his own release join Cass's. The sight is blocked out a moment later, as 170 pounds of tanned skin and toned muscle collapse on top of him. Oof! Dean huffs, chuckling as Cass pants against his shoulder. You okay? I'm never moving from this spot. Cass answers, his voice muffled, but sleepy and content. Smoothing his hands up and down Cass's backside, Dean's decided he's pretty much going to touch Cass at every possible opportunity, now that he finally can. He presses a kiss just above Cass's ear. Not that I'm not all for that idea, he murmurs, but I kind of can't breathe, babe. He can feel Cass's smile against his heated skin before the other man rolls off him. One orgasm and I get a pet name, huh? He teases and if Dean weren't still flushed from everything they just did, he'd be blushing. Uh, sorry, it just sort of came out. I like it, Cass assures him, and Dean grins. They lie there for a minute, just staring at one another, and smiling dopily as their heart rates finally return to normal. Cass blinks his eyes heavily, and Dean rolls forward to press a chaste kiss against chapped pink lips. Be right back, he says, grimacing a moment later at the tacky cum covering his stomach as he stands and walks to the bathroom, really glad they still have an hour or so before Sam gets home. After cleaning himself up, he leaves the bathroom to find Cass waiting for his turn. A few minutes later, Cass rejoins him in the bedroom, shutting the door behind him before he joins Dean in bed. Dean only has a moment to wonder how this is going to go, before Cass snuggles right up to him, fitting into his arms like he belongs there. Cass, Dean whispers as he feels himself dropping off to sleep. 
I'm glad it was you. Thank you so much for your support. I can be contacted on Twitter, Tumblr, or at makingitupaswegopod at gmail.com. If you are able, please go to the author's AO3 story and give comments and kudos to them for sharing this with us. The link is in the show notes. This will also be posted on AO3 as a podfic under my username, and the link will be in the show notes as well. As always, thank you so much for listening.